Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm going to share with you an interview I did with James Jeffers. James is an independent software consultant who escaped Cubicle Nation in 2011 and just started his journey to ditching hourly billing. He recently emailed to let me know about the powerfully beneficial effect value pricing has had on his business in a relatively short time. If you'd like to ping James and ask about his experience, you can find him on Twitter at JD Jeffers. That's J-D-J-E-F-F-E-R-S. Now, on to the interview. James, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Could you start off by telling folks a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, I am pretty much like a run-of-the-mill generalist developer. Uh, and I'm trying to make the transition into a more specialized uh, positioning. But um, before I started doing that, I got really interested in value-based pricing because I started listening to The Art of Value with Kirk Bowman. And uh, I think that's how I found you online and started reading a lot of the stuff you had written. And um, it just made a lot of sense. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. So I think people tend to tell me that, oh, I agree with this in principle, but I don't understand how to actually do it. And the gap seems to be that mentally you can kind of understand the concept of value pricing or at least why hourly billing is really bad for clients and, and developers. But they just don't know how to kind of cross the chasm between how they are currently doing things and how to do things in a new way. But you've made that leap so can you tell us a little bit about um, what kind of work you were doing on an hourly basis and then into how you transitioned to that first pitch that was non-hourly? Yeah, I, I, was, um, I used to do a lot of like staff augmentation work uh, for different uh, startups and businesses in my area, and that was really dissatisfying. And so I, th I thought, well, I'm going to go to try to find more uh, independent work and that led me to work for a couple of different agencies. And of course, they were doing an hourly billing model. And that led to a whole bunch of disasters um, as far as like managing the relationship. Well, you know, as I think, you know, once you start billing by the hour, if you get into a project where suddenly you spent 20 hours doing something and they end up with like a $7,000 bill, mm. they, they start to freak out. And they're <laughs> like, why did you spend this time doing X? And then that, it just goes downhill from there. Right. So, um, so I, I pretty much knew that that something was not right. And then looking at the value pricing stuff, I, I kind of told myself, I said, well, you know, Kirk Bowman said it took him a year. I'm like, I'm willing to, to do the same thing. And I think one of the, the points of advice that was really useful was he said, don't, don't expect that you're going to turn to all of your existing clients and say, hey, I'm going to do this new pricing model. And they're all going to love it. Uh, some people won't get it. As some people will appreciate it. Um, and some people are going to not be sure. So what I did is I simply looked at any new work that was coming through the door. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, that's this, I want to do value pricing with this project. And that was a little scary because I didn't know if it was going to work. So a part of me was like, I have to be okay with walking away from a, a potential deal. And at the time, my cash flow situation wasn't that that felt super safe. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I did have a little bit of money built up. So it wasn't like I was going to be uh, sweating a mortgage payment at that moment. Mm -hmm. um, so the first project that I did that was value-based, um, 
I kind of wanted to sort of dip my toes into it. So the person wanted to do a bunch of, you know, really ambitious stuff with uh, her business. And I said, uh, let's, uh, let's scale back. Let's do like a test project first. And uh, I kind of got her to sort of ha- get into a phone call with me. And we talked for about an hour. And I simply began to essentially do, as you've suggested, where you try to convince them not to do the project. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that point I didn't have to convince her not to hire me. She was already looking for somebody and I had a recommendation from the person who used to do a lot of her technical work. So I guess it was kind of a little bit on easy mode at that point Mm -hmm. because I had the, um, I had the, uh, uh, sort of the, uh, the vetting by another person who had worked with them before. So that was, that was number one, a huge leg up. But, um, in that conversation, I, I was very careful to, uh, ask her to get very specific about why she wanted to do, you know, why was this work important? What was she looking to get out of it? And every time she, she was getting a little fuzzy about, well, I just think it, you know, this needs to be updated, uh, for the look and feel, I'd be like, well, why is that important? And I just kept asking until I finally got to, you know, kind of the, the core of, well, you know, this has a real, uh, outcome for her as far as like keeping people, uh, engaged with her business. And I said, okay, well, if you, you didn't have this work done, exactly what what would you have to do to get around that? And it basically came down, she would have to hire a full-time equivalent mm-hmm. staff person. I said, well, how much do you pay them? And so she named the figure. Right. And once I got that number, I said, okay. And I, you know, I was taking notes the whole time. And I, after the conversation, I said, well, let me, let me go back and, and look over my notes. And, and I'm going to basically repeat back to her what she said her issues were. Mm-hmm. And I used all the numbers that, that we talked about. So it wasn't like I was making up a number like, Hey, I think this project is worth $30,000. I just simply took her numbers and said, Julie, uh, th- these are all of the, the figures that you, that we talked about, that these make sense. Um, and based on that, if you do this work, it's going to save you at least this much money this year. And then I simply looked at, well, could, could I do that project for less than, um, her cost? Uh, and then the answer was yes. And I was like, okay, this seems like a project that I could do and my cost is not going to be, you know, higher than what she's going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Then how can I price it? And so I simply found a, the price point was between, like you said, above my cost, but below her ROI. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was for the amount of work actually when I looked at it, it was actually a good chunk of change. Um, but she, price was never an objection. So it yep. was like it, the sale was super easy. Uh, so the benefit of doing that was then I knew she had follow-on projects. So the next project we did the same thing, and this, the, that next project was actually one that was about five times larger than the than the initial one. And mm. again, same process. I simply asked her what she wanted out of what 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 ROI was she looking for? What did she expect to get? And then there was a little bit of pushback in that because I wanted to make sure that she was sure about her numbers. Mm. And it was it was a conversation. And it's like Kirk Bowman talks about it's art and it's, you know, it's more art than science. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it's a skill set. And I, I was still learning it. But at the end of the day, I think the key point was getting them to uh, talk about what, what they think the value is. And then using, you know, their, their assessment of the value. And that becomes the anchor point to figure out, okay, can I do the work? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I set a price between the, somewhere between their ROI and my cost? And the answer was yes. And again... Once we did that, even it was five times the amount of money, um, the price was not a projection, which blew me away. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's 
and that was a huge, uh, you know, a big win. Uh, follow up, you know, that project ended. And then the summer I had another person come to me and say, Hey, I've got this other project. Would you do it? And I said, well, maybe let me talk to the person. And, um, this, this person, again, they didn't really have too much personal interaction with me, but, uh, I basically said, I'm not sure if we can work together, but let's have a conversation first. And, you know, like I think you pointed out, you, you kind of have that first meeting where they're just going to spew about everything. Yeah. And then you kind of, you kind of listen and take notes. And then at the end you're like, okay, well let's, let's try to dial in on what exactly it is that you want to get out of this. And it was really kind of funny because in the meeting they were adamant that they wanted this work done. And I just kept asking like, well, why don't you just hire an intern? Why don't you just hire another person? Why don't you just use a spreadsheet? Why don't you just, you know, all of these things to try to dissuade them from, uh, basically rewriting this application that had been in production for 10 years. Right. And uh, it was interesting because the, as the conversation went on, they became more and more adamant that it just had to be re- rewritten and went into all of their reasons for it. And again, after that fact, you know, I simply took notes, figured out what they figured uh, their cost was and what the opportunity was, and I repeated it back to them and said, according to our conversation, you want to do this project because of X, Y, Z, and here's what your expected ROI was. And um, I was actually talking to the person who put me in touch with these folks, and I was told basically that they had a budget. And so that was another key point is playing on easy mode is if you kind of know what their budget is, if you figure, you know, uh, yeah, can you do the work for their budget and it's still going to make sense? Again, I don't think the sale price was ever an objection, mm-hmm. right? It just never came up. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think those are, and that I got that project as well. But it was kind of funny because at the beginning, I just basically tried to push them off and say, you know, it wasn't like I'm desperate for this work and I need it and, you know, I'll do anything to get it. It was mm-hmm. kind of like, I'm going to try to convince you that you're, you probably don't want to hire me because I'm, I'm an expensive option. Right. Um, and at the, you know, at the end of the day, I, it became clear that there was no doubt in their mind that I was the person who was going to do it. In fact, one of the, the person who was originally oversaw the first project they did 10 years ago, when I had a meeting with him to try to figure out, you know, just how complex their application was, he, he said, oh, I understand you're the guy who's going to do the project. And I said, well, I haven't really, we haven't really decided that yet, right? We haven't mm-hmm. signed any kind of contract. And he said, oh, according to, you know, what I know, it's pretty much a done deal. <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, like apparently in their mind, I was the guy to do it. Mm-hmm. So I got to think, you know, like I said, you know, the, the process of, you know, pushing, pushing back on their initial eagerness, getting them to essentially convince themselves that the work needs to be done and then figuring out what they think the ROI is. You know, these are all important things. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think I'm skilled yet enough to know, like, the exact process for how that works. And I think part of that is just inexperience. And I think the other part is uh, because I'm more of a generalist at this point and not well positioned. Uh, I don't think I know. Like, you just can't look at a particular set of potential customers and know exactly what's going to work best with them. Mm-hmm. It's, it, the work is so spread out. But yeah, so let me let me just point out a couple of things for the listeners. Sure. So there are there are like six things that either happened or you did perfectly that all work together to make this work. And, and when I say make this work, it's I mean being able to deliver a great deal to the client that actually solves their real problem and isn't just 
you know, some work that they wanted you to do that turns out not moving a needle. And at the same time, you're able to make uh, a, a nice profit and don't have to track your hours and deal with all of that, the disaster that you described at the beginning. So the, the couple of things I wanted to call out, uh, one, you were willing to walk away from that first deal because you had a little bit of cash saved up. Very important. Uh, the clients can, can catch that whiff of desperation a mile away. Just, it just can't be stopped. So if you need the deal, you're going to do a terrible job pricing it and you probably won't even get it. But if you don't need, need the deal and you're willing to walk away from it, things get a lot easier. Another thing is that there was a referral involved. So referrals are the gold standard in terms of customer acquisition and just instantaneous trust. And they, they can sound to people like luck, but you can do things to systematically get referrals, which of course starts with systematically, you know, crushing projects so that people are super happy. And then at a certain point you say, Hey, do you know anybody else that you think might benefit from this kind of a relationship and that sort of thing? Um, another thing that you did was you came to conceptual agreement on the phone and then the proposal was not a sales tool where you're trying to convince anyone that your proposal was a good idea. It was merely a restatement of what you already discussed on the phone. And, um, you didn't say this, but I'm assuming you didn't give her, uh, her a price over the phone that the price was in the proposal. That's correct. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's perfect. Another thing that you did that was perfect was uh, that you started with a small project to minimize the risk to you because it is a risky thing to switch to this uh, style of pricing. And of course, in the sales conversation, you tried to talk them out of working with you and presented yourself as an expensive option. There's probably, there's gotta be a cheaper way to do this. Now, a lot of people listening probably are thinking this because I, I get this pushback all the time that it feels like uh, when you're trying to talk them out of the the project or talk them out of hiring you at least. And they end up, they end up coming down to like an actual number. It could be either dollar amount or very clear sort of ROI that you're kind of tricking them into doing that. But in fact, what you're doing is protecting them from wasting their money because it can go both ways. Like you can, you can talk them out of hiring you and you should, if you can, it's not like a trick to get people to reveal their budget. It's, it's a, a process to go through to make sure that they're going to be happy at the end. And Oh, by the way, you can set a super fair price based on the outcome of that conversation. But at least personally, I feel like it's my moral obligation to at least be reasonably confident that somebody writing me a six figure check is going to result in, you know, a seven figure result for them. If, and if I can't do that, if I, if I'm not reasonably confident that they're going to at least break even, that's not even good enough for me. I want them to do better than break even. Uh, Then I'm not going to take the gig because it's not a good fit, which goes all the way back to, you need to be willing to walk away from the deal. So very well done. You've kind of finished that up by saying that you're still new at it, but it sounds like you've got the vast majority of steps in place. Yeah. I I don't, I mean, I obviously would never go back to hourly billing, um, you know, for, for at least this work. I mean, I've done some other, um, sort of infrastructure maintenance work that's not priced exactly the same way. But mm-hmm. for these these other projects, it it, I, it would be insane to do hourly billing. And and you mentioned how like you're you're kind of protecting these people against making foolish uh, investments of money, mm-hmm. you know, and getting them to actually be clear about what they want to get out of it. But the other thing I've noticed is that while I'm doing the work with the client, I think if I was doing hourly billing, if the client 
and this has happened, I don't know, probably once a week <laughs> for the yeah. last six months, client will be talking to me on the phone because we, we, we talk all the time, right? And it's not hourly bills. So they're never really worried about if they, if they need to pick up the phone and talk to me mm-hmm. that I'm going to be like, okay, you're on the, you're on, you know, the meter's running. Um, that, you know, they'll say, hey, what if we did X, Y, Z? Like, like this extra new work. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, if I was hourly billing, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds great. Let me <laughs> yeah. bill you for another 20 hours, right? Or right. 30 hours or whatever. That's hey, extra money for me. Uh-huh. But because I'm not, I don't have an incentive to do a lot of extra work for no reason, uh, I will often tell them, I'll be like, that's, you know, yeah, you could do that. But let's, you know, be clear about what you're giving up. Like this other project that you've paid for, that's going to be delayed. Um, there's a bunch of extra software that needs to be written and maintained. Uh, and I will give them reasons why it's an expensive option. Mm-hmm. I don't tell them no necessarily, but I will give, I'll be very realistic and say, you know, what do you plan on getting out of it? But basically the ability to push back on all of the things that they're thinking about. And, mm-hmm. mo- and more often than not, I'm just like, that sounds great, but let's, let's wait till this project is done. And let's revisit that later. Mm-hmm. And I think if I was billing by the hour, I'd be like, yeah, let's tack that on, right? Because it's just, and that's, I think that's a, a really blatant conflict of interest. And I think a lot of developers are, are caught in a tight spot because they're like, I need to, I need to make a paycheck. So what are they going to do? Right. And it feels, it, so the thing is, some people go so far, and even I've said this in the past, that hourly billing is unethical, which I think is overstating it a little bit because I think, I think unethical behavior requires intention and and I don't I can't think of a time when I've met a developer who is actually unethical but the 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 situation that you just described which is that the more work I do the more money I make regardless of whether it delivers a good outcome to the customer that is an intrinsic problem because your you uh, your financial motivations are not aligned and oftentimes what happens is that there's there's also no defined goal for the project. It's just like, hey, can you can you do some work over here? It's like you're a voice controlled mouse. They're like, can you build that over there? And you know, and while you're at it, can you go wash my car? You know, it's like it's like if they're just paying you by the hour, you can go and do these things. And then, you know, a week or two weeks later, they get an invoice and they're what 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 you know why is this so expensive? And it's like, well, you kept on telling me to do all these things, and you know, I'm just doing what you said. Like to me, that's not, I don't want to be that kind of a developer. I want to be an expert that is, whose opinion is valued. And, and I've been doing this long enough to feel confident that my opinion is going to probably uh, result in a positive outcome for the client. So I feel like it is my obligation, kind of like a doctor to first do no harm and make sure that, you know, for every check they write me, they're going to, you know, maybe double their money maybe triple their money, maybe more, you know, and if I can't, you know, and it's, there's a risk and it's a, it's a little bit of a gamble, but I want it to at least be a likelihood that they're going to benefit from it. And, and you just articulated um, one of the benefits, which is that when your relationship is set up in that way and they come to you, you know, over the course of a three to six month project, they're going to be ideas. And when they come to you with these ideas, you've got a litmus test to say, okay, this is an interesting idea. Let's see if this is going to help us reach the goal of this project. And you kind of have a conversation about it. And if it doesn't, we'll put it on V2. We don't want to jeopardize this project by delaying it or bloating it with these sort of side requests. So let's just write it down for a possible V2 or a future project. 
Or it could happen that it's a great idea and it's going to help everybody reach the goal faster. So you do that and then everybody reaches the goal faster and that's good for everyone. So it's just, a, I mean, I, I think you would agree that it's just a dramatically different way of running the relationship. Oh, it's night, like night and day. It, with the hourly billing, especially through like an agency where they're so focused on, you know, controlling their, their costs, mm-hmm. uh, it becomes adversarial almost. Mm-hmm. And when you do it this way with the value-based pricing, um, it's like you're their partner and you both have the same goal of getting them to something that's going to help them in their business rather than you just being a control lever that they have to fiddle with. <laughs> exactly. Well, James, thanks so much for sending that email in and sharing your story with everyone. I think you're doing a great job and I look forward to hearing more big things from you in the future. Well, thanks. I hope more big things will be coming. <laughs> great. So where can people find out more about you online? Uh, I can be reached on Twitter at JD Jeffers. That's J D J E F F E R S. And, um, if you're, if you're hourly billing now and you, you want to make the jump and you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for coming. Hey, no problem. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about how to ditch hourly billing, go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free six lesson email course. Again, that URL is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.